So before I get into uh, the main thing, which is the word of the year, really excited about that. Today we are committing our first fruits offering to the Lord. So if you weren't here last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to that message. I'll talk more in depth about what this offering is and even what tithes are. But just to recap, when we tithe, we are returning to the Lord the first 10% of our income. Now I say return and not give because our, our, none of what we own belongs to us. Everything we have, if we're truly mature and understand, everything we have was given to us by the Lord. Returning our tithes is saying, God, I trust you that you're going to take care of me financially, and I'm going to give you this 10%. This principle is all throughout the Bible. I went through several instances last week. You can go back and listen to that. Um, When we tithe, the Bible says we rebuke the devourer in Malachi. What does that mean? It means that when we tithe, we close the door to the enemy walking into our finances. Have, have you guys ever um, been going through uh, your budget and, you, and you're like, man, I know I make enough money to, uh, to support you know, our lives and our family, but there just never seems to be enough. Yeah, so I know some of you are raising your heads in your, in your mind. That's okay, your, your hands in your head, that's okay. Um, when we tithe, it closes the door, and the Bible says that God will pour out a blessing until there's no more need. And so I've seen people tithe that don't have enough money to make ends meet, and somehow it supernaturally gets taken care of. I've also seen people make more than enough, and at the end of the month or end of the year say, I don't know where all my money went. Tithing closes the door to the enemy, okay? An offering is giving God anything and over above our tithe. And so I would say you really can't give offerings until you start tithing. And so I was going to say this in a second, but maybe, you can't, maybe you've never tithed before or never tithed consistently. I would encourage you to do that. Don't worry about the offering. Just start tithing consistently. I promise you'll see a difference um, in your finances and in your life. We take this first fruits offering at the beginning of every year. We've done this since 2019, the first full year of Kingdom Church. And my testimony is I tithe since I was a kid. My parents would give me a dollar or a couple dollars, I don't remember, and we would give it to our Sunday school teacher at church. So we learned how to give to the Lord. But it wasn't until we started Kingdom Church that the Lord really led us, led me to really start giving offerings. And I didn't just give to the church. I also gave to other people, which was something really new. But I, I saw when the Lord began to bless me through these offerings, uh, I saw when I began to give these offerings, the Lord began to bless me in ways that I had never, ever seen before. And so that's my personal testimony. I love to give, truly. I'm not saying that to brag. I truly love to give. And the Lord has, has put that on the inside of me. And this is what I want for each of you, for each of you to love to give, because I see how the Lord provi- has provided for my needs. I want to read one passage, and then we'll move on. But if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. In this passage, Paul is writing to the Corinthian church and is towards the end of, the, of this book and he is um, addressing the offering that they are going to receive to give to the uh, Christians who are in Jerusalem, okay? So there's Christians in Corinth, which was not near Israel. I believe it was in, in Asia, um, Asia Minor. So he's writing to them to address the offering that they're going to give. They said they would already give. You can read in verse 5 that Paul says, hey, you said you would do this, so I'm addressing it. So I want to read this passage really quickly. Verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Meaning, if you sow a little, you're going to reap a little. 
whoever sows bountifully will also uh, reap bountifully. means if you sow a little, you're going to get a little. If you sow a lot, you're going to get a lot. There's a principle. You, sow, you will reap how much you sow and where you sow. This is not just a principle that relates to finances. This relates to any area of your life. For example, we just, we're talking about marriages. If you sow a little bit in your marriage, you're going to reap a little bit in your marriage. But if you take the time to love your spouse, to speak to your spouse, to have date nights, to go um, on uh, vacations just together, to go to these marriage conferences, if you will reap a lot in your marriage, uh, sow a lot in your marriage, you're going to reap a lot in your marriage. This just, does, just doesn't have to do with finances. It's true. Is that right? If you will pay attention, your job, many of us are, uh, love our careers. If you have poured time and energy into investing in career, many of us have reaped the benefits of that. How many of y'all can say that? You will reap where you sow. This is really important. And, and he's talking about money here. Verse 7. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I want to make it like a million percent clear right now. We are not begging you to give anything, a tithe or offering. If you're going to give, you have to be persuaded that in your heart, this is something that you want to do. I said this several times already. We, Kingdom Church would be just fine not preaching this message financially. Are, some of y'all are great, many of y'all are great givers. I've been truly amazed as we have grown the past several years. So this is not for us. This is for you. I've seen what these principles have done in my life and done in many other people's lives, and I know we can do in your life. So if you're going to give, give cheerfully. I don't want you to feel like you're being forced. The choice, I promise, is yours. Keep uh, verse 8. Once you do these things, it says, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I want to ask you a question. How many of you would like to have enough for anything at all times in every area of your life? This happens when we sow. Now, the degree is up to you. Do you want a little or do you want a lot? Again, it's not just money. It's in every area. It says, when you do this, you will have, it's, talk, it's talking about finances here, you will have all sufficiency in all things at all times. Meaning, you're, you're not going to have to worry about having another need ever again. Because God is providing for you. This is the power when we sow. Go down to verse 10. It says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply. He'll supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. This is an important principle. Jesus always multiplies what we give him. Always. He doesn't just add to what we give him. He multiplies. Case in point, you remember the story about Jesus telling the disciples, hey, the crowd, they're hungry, and it's too far to go back in town. It's going to be too late. Everything's going to be closed. I want you to feed them. And they said, Jesus, we only have five loaves and two fish. Jesus said, bring those to me. What did Jesus do? He multiplied those five pieces of bread and two fish that fed thousands of people. So whatever we bring to the Lord, he always multiplies. 
He always multiplies. This is a really important thing to remember. Verse 11, last verse. It says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Listen carefully. Keep that verse up. The point of being blessed is to be generous. I'm going to say this every time I talk about money because some preachers, some believers get this mixed up. They think, well, I'm going to give so that I can get more. Okay? Yes, that part is true. But the reason we get more is so we can be generous to other people. That's what it says. You will be enriched. How many want to be enriched in every way? In every way, not just financially, in every way. You will be enriched in every way, finances, health, whatever, to be generous in every way. That is the point. This is why I'm such a big advocate of giving because I have learned that that when God gives to me, it's not just so I can keep it. It's so that I can give it to other people. That's the point, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So how much do I give? Well, ask God what he wants you to give. And let me tell you, if you ask him, he's probably going to put a number on your heart that's bigger than you're comfortable with. I'm not saying that just to get money because look at other areas of your life. How many times has God asked us to do something we're not comfortable with? So he's being consistent across the board. That's why I'm saying he'll probably ask you to give something that you're not comfortable with because he'll ask us to forgive that person we don't want to forgive. He'll ask us to, to leave that job that we don't want to leave. He'll ask us to go and apologize to our spouse even though they've done nothing to uh, be worthy of an apology, right? He'll ask us to do things we're not comfortable with. So it'll probably be something you're not comfortable with. And, but just ask the Lord. When, if the Lord puts a number on your heart, which I've seen this time and time again, if you put something on your heart, he will make sure to give you the finances to do it. The question is, when it comes in, are you going to obey and release it? That's, that's, that's the question. So um, we're committing it today. You may not be able to give it all today. I'm not able to give what he's asked to put on my heart, what he's asked, um, what he's put on my heart. I'm not able to give it all right now. I have to give some of it right, like today, and then I'm going to have to budget the next uh, couple months to give the rest. And we're not asking you to, we're not asking you to write it down because this is between you and the Lord. It's not like, okay, we're, so much is going to be committed on this Sunday and then we're going to, no, it's not even about that. This is between you and the Lord. So if the Lord puts something on your heart, be faithful and give it a promise that the Lord will supply the need. Now you can give, um, you can give in the box, however you give, if you give online through PushPay, there's going to be a tab for a first fruits offering to give that way. So I'll just leave it at that. Uh, ask the Lord. I promise, I promise he wants to enrich you so that you can bless other people. And also, you'll be blessed as well. All right. Word of the year. How many are ready for the word of the year? Amen. I'm excited. This is something we have done since the beginning of Kingdom Church. We have asked the Lord to give us direction for the season, the coming year. And this is important. This is the reason that we do this. Listen carefully. We believe that God works in seasons. He has a plan for our our entire life, but there are specific seasons that he has us in. And it's important for us to recognize uh, which season we're in. So many times we get frustrated. God, I don't know why I'm in this season. How come I'm in this season? We want to get out of a season and we try to go into a new season. But God is saying, hey, I'm not done with you in this season yet. There's some things I want to teach you. There's some things that I want to show you. 
Look at Ecclesiastes 3 verse 1. This is a very famous passage. It says, for everything there is a season, everything there is a season and a time for every matter on the earth. If you keep uh, reading in Ecclesiastes, you'll see there's a time to be born and a time to die, a time to build, a time to tear down, a time to, uh, a time to reap, a time to sow, a time to, there's a time for everything. There's a season for everything. If you remember in, um, in, uh, in the Old Testament, Joseph was uh, second in command of Pharaoh, and God told Joseph, hey, Joseph, tell Pharaoh there are going to be seven years of great harvest, and then after that, there's going to be a season of great famine. So use these seven years to store up food so that you'll have enough for the coming season. So God works in seasons. Look at this story in Acts 16, verse 6. I'm taking some time to really illustrate this uh, because you have to, have to understand that God works in seasons. If you don't understand that, you're not going to accept the word. You're going to like, okay, it's just the word at the beginning of the year. And all right, so what? No, this is a season God has for us. I'm going to show you. Acts 16, verse 6. This is Paul, Timothy, and Silas. They were on their second missionary trip um, trying to spread the gospel around the known world. And it says this. Is it, do we have it? Okay, we have it. Acts 16, 6. It says, and they went throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they were on their way, and then it says, hey, the Holy Spirit says, don't go into Asia to preach the gospel. I don't want you to go that way. Verse 7. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia. They're like, okay, God, you don't want us to go into Asia, so we're going to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So here we see that the Holy Spirit said no to these three men and their other companions two times. How many of you think it would be a good idea to preach the gospel to everyone in the world? All right, is anyone awake? Okay, feel free to talk back. It actually helps me out. How many of you would feel it would be a good idea to preach the gospel to everyone? So what's God doing here? He says no to Asia and no to Bithynia. I don't know about you, if I were Paul, I'd be really disappointed. I'm like, God, we just gave up everything to go on this missionary trip, and you're telling us no? Let's keep reading. Verse 8. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. Verse 9. And a vision, after this, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia was standing there. So he had a vision at night, maybe a dream, we don't know. Urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. There's a man in a vision saying, hey, we need help. We need what you have. Would you come to us? Verse 10. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately, he's like, we were waiting for this. We sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Paul was told no to go into Asia and told no to go into Bithynia. Has God ever told you no before? What did you do when God told you no? Did you ignore him? <laughs> Most times. I don't know about you, but there have been seasons when God has told me, no, I'm like, God, why? I don't understand. It makes sense. Don't you want me to go preach the gospel to all these people? And God's like, that's, I do, but that's not your job right now. How many times have we wanted to go into a new season? I want a new job. I want a new relationship. I want to get out of this relationship. 
I want that toy. I want that promotion. I want a new season. How many of y'all can be honest? Say, yeah, I want, I want a new season. I'm tired of the season that I'm in. But listen, if it's not God's will for you to get out of that season, you can fight and you can call, but you're not going to get out. Listen, as believers, this is for believers. If you consider yourself a believer, if you don't, this is not for you. As believers, we don't get to determine our seasons. When you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, your future now belongs to him and your present. It belongs to him. You don't get to decide what you do. If you want to decide what you do, you can leave Jesus and suffer those consequences. But if he is your Lord, Lord meets master. If you confess him as Lord and Savior, he now has the right to tell you what season you get into. Now, you can try to force a new season. And even worse than that, you can try to force a new season to put God's stamp on it and say, this is the way God is leading me. We can talk to nine people and, and say, yeah, I don't think God's telling you to do that. But the 10th person will say, oh, yeah, they're hearing from the Lord. I'm going to go that direction. I'm going to leave this place. I'm going to go there. I'm going to do this and do that. But listen, if you force a season or if you create your own season, it's up to you to make sure that, succeed, that season succeeds. The weight of you being successful in that new season is now on your shoulders. How heavy is that weight? I've, I've carried it before and it's miserable. Many times we don't understand the seasons that we're in, right? We don't understand, like, and, 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 lots, and most times we're not going to understand until after, right? How many of y'all have exited a season and, and you realize, oh, that's why I went through that season. I needed to learn patience. I needed to learn submission. I needed to learn whatever. I've been there. I've been in that, I've been, there was a time in my life where I went through like a six-year season of just like not doing anything I wanted to do. And it was miserable. But guess what? It prepared me for this season. And if I had not waited on that, if I had not had stayed in that season, we wouldn't be here today. There's only one thing that we can do when we're in a season we don't want to be in. There's one thing, and that is be faithful where God has placed us. That's the only thing that's in our control. Look at Proverbs 3, verse 3. Let not steadfast love Watch this, and faithfulness forsake you. He said, don't let it disappear. Hold on to it. I know it's tough, but hold on to it. Bind them, love and faithfulness, around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. He said, keep this close, that you will continue to love people, love God, and you'll be faithful where God has placed you. And look at the result, verse 4. So then you will find favor and good success in the sight of God in man. How many of y'all want to find favor and success, not only be before men, but before God? The way we do that is by being faithful where God has placed us. I didn't write it on the screen, but Psalm 37 verse 3 says this, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Befriend it, hold on to it. And then in the next verse says this, one of our favorite verses, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your hearts. You don't get the desires of your heart until you're faithful. And many times he's going to ask you to be faithful in very, 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 million, very hard season. Very hard. But you have to be faithful if you want to see the desires of your heart come to pass. If you want to find favor and good success in the sight of God and men. So I believe the Lord is wanting to show us what this coming season is going to look like. If you could put up the words of the year. These are the words God has given us the last four years. 
In 2019, we started in August of 2018, he gave us the word identity. That was a year of learning who we were. It was, I grew up in church, I grew up following churches, and in that year, the Lord said, you're not going to look like any church you've ever seen before. And that scared me because I had experienced what I'd seen. But he took that year to really prune us and, and of, of even people that weren't supposed to be here, of ideas and uh, methods that I had used. He said, you're not going to use that in this church. So we spent all of 2019 uh, working on our, our personal identity. In 2020, he gave us the word build, which was interesting because that was the year COVID hit the whole world. And he gave us that word before COVID even came along, before I even heard about COVID. And I was like, Lord, like, really? You gave us build when everything's going to shut down? That was the year we grew in ways, in every, in every, um, in every area. We grew um, spiritually, many of us. We grew numerically. More people started coming. We grew financially. We grew in every way we grew. And that was the result because the Lord gave us a word. Do you know most churches in 2020... Um, got smaller. Most, I know a couple churches that shut down for good. It's like what, it's like what happened to many other churches, not all churches, but many other churches, the exact opposite happened to us. We grew. It's because the Lord gave us a word. And then in 2021, he gave us the word purity. And the bigger word, which I I didn't write down, I believe the Lord has been, um, over the last three years, leading us into a promised land season. I believe he spoke that to us. But we didn't enter in in 2021. I thought it was going to be 2021, but he wanted us to spend that entire year working on purity. What are some things we're doing that we shouldn't be doing? Where do we need to repent? And then 2022, last year, he gave us the word warfare. And last year was a year of warfare. It was a very, very hard, tough year. Um, there, were many, there were actually some people that were casualties of the warfare. They didn't recover. There's some people, some close friends of mine that have not come back. They got distracted. Enemy got them. So it was a very tough year. These are the words that God has given us, and I believe the Lord is leading us into a new season. So just the last story, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 4. In Luke 3, Jesus is baptized by John. He's baptized, and then the Bible says the Holy Spirit, like a dove, comes and rests on him. And he hears the Father say, "Um, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And then at the beginning of Luke 4, Jesus fasts 40 days and 40 nights, and he's tempted by the devil, okay? Right after that, this story happens. I just wanted to tell you, this is the first thing that happened after he was baptized and after he was tested. Verse 16. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. This is where he grew up, so it would be like if he was from Odessa. He came back to Odessa. Tough. And as was his custom... He went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. It was his custom. He went to church. That's what we should be doing. And he stood up to read. So he gets up to read. I guess they opened up the floor to people wanting to read. And he gets up to read. And he reads this. Oh, it says this. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was, was given to him. I forgot to mention this last time. This was given him to read. So, so maybe it was the reading of the day. We're not sure. But the, the, the scroll Isaiah, we have it in our Old Testament, was given to him. He enrolled it and found the place where this was written. And he read this. This is a prophecy in the Old Testament. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So he reads this. It's a prophecy about the Messiah. Verse 20. And he rolled it up. And gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. 
and the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. They looked at him like, okay, why did he read that? What this? They probably felt something was happening. They looked at him, and this is what he said. And he said to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What did that mean? He read a prophecy about the Messiah, sat down, and he said, he essentially said, the person I just read about, I am he. Imagine having, I'm sure they read that same passage for decades and centuries. Hearing this man say this, there's two options. Either he's telling the truth or he's a liar. Because he was in Nazareth and he grew up around these people, they begin to say, Jesus, you're the Messiah? I changed your diaper. I saw you grow up. I went to school with you. I know your dad and your mom. They're ordinary people. Are you, are you saying you're the Messiah? And it says they got so upset with him, they, went, they took him to the edge of town and were going to throw him off a cliff. I've been to that cliff. cliff. They're going to throw him off a cliff, but the Bible says he was able to evade them. Jesus did a very, very bold thing. And either he was a liar or he was telling the truth. Was he telling the truth? It's important to realize that Jesus fulfilled every Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. There's over 300 of them, and there are actually over, uh, there are dozens in Isaiah, specifically. But of all the prophecies that he could have read in Isaiah, there were dozens, he picked this one in Isaiah 61. And I believe he did because he wanted to emphasize what his ministry was going to be about. So he could have picked any other passage in Isaiah. There are several other prophecies or other passages even. But he picked this one because I really believe he wanted to emphasize what his ministry was going to be about. I want to read, I want to read Isaiah 61 in, its, uh, in the original verses. It says this, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. What does anointed mean? Anointed means someone has been given the divine power to do something God has called them to do. I believe that um, many of us in here have been anointed. I believe I've been anointed. I believe our worship pastor has been anointed. I believe um, other people have been anointed to do something that God wants them to do. Also, marriages. Did you know that if you've been married before God, you've been anointed to be in that marriage? You may think, I don't have any hope. I don't have any power. That's not true. That's a lie of the enemy. You have been anointed to be in that marriage. It's up to you to surrender to the Lord, though, and surrender to his anointing. He says, so it says, Jesus is saying, I've been anointed. He's talking about himself in Luke. I've been anointed to do what? To bring good news to the poor. He says, those who have been distressed, downtrodden, I've come to bring them good news that their Savior has come. To, uh, he has sent me to bind up the Father, has sent me, Jesus, to bind up the brokenhearted. Those who have broken hearts, I'm going to mend them and put them back together. To proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He's saying those who have, are in bondage to sin, bondage to addiction, bondage to drugs, bondage to fear, bondage to worry, I've come to set you free. Listen, that's real freedom. This is what the Messiah has come to do. Verse 2, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, that, that God is looking down with favor and sending the Messiah, and the day of vengeance over God to comfort all who mourn. Verse 3, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, those who are sor sorrowful, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, 
the oil of gladness to be glad, to have joy instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, a down, downcast spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Did Jesus do these things? He did. And some of us have felt that. As soon as Jesus left Nazareth, he immediately started his ministry. And I just want to go through these real briefly so you can see what the Messiah's ministry was about. In Luke 4.31, I don't think we, we don't have verses. No, we don't have verse on that one. And if you just, if you just look down, you can, if you have your Bible, you can just kind of scan down to Luke 4.31. The first thing he does is he he's, uh, found, finds himself again in a church, in a synagogue. And he's, he's speaking, maybe reading something again. He, yeah, you can leave just that verse up. He went down to the Capernaum, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath in the synagogue. Don't have time to read it. But it says that a demon manifests in the synagogue as he was teaching. Jesus looked at him and said, you come, come out of him right now. And the demon left him, and he was well. Listen, this happened in a church. Now, here it is. It says, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. A demon manifest in the church. Do you know there are demons probably in here right now? We, had, we cast a demon out of somebody a few weeks ago in here on a Sunday. This was the first part of Jesus' ministry was deliverance. The first part, listen carefully, this was the first part of Jesus' ministry was deliverance. Then in verse, um, verse 38, right after this, and just, just for fun, we were actually at the synagogue when we went to Israel a couple, of, um, a couple of months ago. And right next to it was Simon Peter's, mom, uh, Simon Peter's house, in which I'm going to mention that in a second. After Jesus cast out the demon, he walks over to uh, Peter's house, which was like a couple hundred feet away. There's a big church on top of it right now. And it says that he found Peter's mother-in-law sick with fever. He looked at her and rebuked the fever, and it came out of her. So we see the second part of Jesus' ministry was healing. First part was deliverance. The second part was healing. And actually, I want to read it another account in Matthew, Matthew's account of this story. Matthew 8, 14. It says, when Jesus entered uh, Peter's house, he saw the mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Verse 16, that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick. He cast out demons, and he healed people. Verse is it 17, yeah. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah, another prophecy in Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. A lot of times when I'm praying for people, this is something I'll quote. I'll say, Father, I pray that you heal this person in Jesus' name. Your word says that on the cross, you bore our illnesses and took our diseases. We have the authority to ask for you to heal them because of what you did on the cross. It says this was to fulfill. So we see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he casts out demons and then he heals people. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, if you're, if you're there, Luke 4, uh, 4, verse 42, I'll go ahead and read this. It says, And when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this 
purpose, and he was preaching in the synagogues in Judea. There are three elements of Jesus. These are, if you read all the Gospels, these are the three main things Jesus did. I promise if you read it, you're going to see these three things over and over and over and over again. He cast out demons, he healed people, and he preached the gospel. Cast out demons, healed people, and preached the gospel. Incidentally, this is the exact same thing God has given us the authority to do. Don't have time to read it. Matthew 18, the Great Commission, uh, Mark 16. He gives us power to cast out demons and heal people. Luke 9 and Luke 10, he gives that authority to his disciples, the 12 disciples and then the other 70 disciples. He gave them the authority to preach the gospel, to cast out demons, and to heal people. Many believers believe in the Great Commission. Go into all the world to preach the good news. Many believers don't believe you can still lay hands on people and cast out demons. It doesn't mean people don't need healing anymore. It doesn't mean that demons don't need to be cast out. When I, when I say cast, well, let me, just, let me just say this. I believe these, all these three things can be summarized into one phrase. Jesus came to heal us. Right? He came to heal us. Look at what uh, he says in Mark 2. There was, a, there was a Pharisees and religious people that were questioning why Jesus was eating with sinners and these people who were very, very immoral people. And this is what he says. When Jesus heard that they were saying these things, those, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician. They don't need a doctor if they're well. But those who are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but to sinners. How are they sick? Their souls were lost and they were infected with sin. You see, Jesus came to bring spiritual, physical, and soulful healing. Spiritual, physical, and soulful. Soulful meaning the soul, mind, will, and emotions. Our soul is comprised of our mind, what we think, um, our will, what we want to do, and our emotions, what we feel. He came to be healing in those, in those three areas. The spirit is our spirit. Before Jesus came along, we had no relationship with the Father. We were dead. We were lost. He came to bring healing to that relationship. Our physical body came to reverse the effects that sin has on our body. Now, we can pray for people and we can believe for healing. God doesn't always heal everybody, but he will heal some people. And we need to believe for that. And then soulful healing. I talked about demon possession. Um, many of us are being tormented by demons. And it may not look like a demon being manifested. But many of us are, the uh, demons are attacking our mind because we have fear. We have worry. We're anxious. Anybody? If you're being attacked by any of those things, those are demons. Jesus came to set you free in that area. He came to bring spiritual, physical, soulful healing. He came to heal our whole be being, our body, soul, and spirit. We're not just a physical, what you see is not the only thing that there is. We also have a spirit and we also have a soul that we can't see. Jesus came to heal all of us. And what's amazing as I was preparing this message, I realized we have seen every form of healing that I just mentioned so far this year. We've, had, we've seen several people uh, be um, delivered from demonic spirits, several people. And I think of our history, our church's history, I think we've had like two or three people over the last five years. We've seen literally five to ten people be delivered just the last few weeks. 
We've actually even had people be physically healed. We pray for Miss Angie. She's not in here right now. Don't have time to go into it, but she, we prayed for her, and she was healed. She was immobilized just a week before this. She couldn't walk. We've also seen people be set free through the gospel. I truly believe that in this season, the Lord is leading us into greater healing. This is the word of the year. I believe the Lord wants to bring greater healing to each of us. And listen, I need healing. I need healing. There's some areas in my life that I need healing in these different forms. You need healing. I could look at each person in this room and say, you need healing. You need healing. You may not realize that the enemy, many, enemy may have you believe right now that now I'm okay. No, you need healing. You need healing. We all need healing. I remember several months ago, um, well, let me say this real quick before I tell that story. The Jews during Jesus' day believed that the Messiah was going to set them free from Roman oppression. This is one of the last things. He was going to set them free from Roman oppression because they were, they were subjects to the Roman Empire. And they had been subject to the Babylonians. They'd been subject to the Greeks. They'd been subject to everybody. And they believed that the Messiah was going to come establish his kingdom, which one day he will, and he'll rule over the whole world one day. But he believed, they believed he was going to do that then. And what's interesting is Jesus could have done that. He could have came and established his kingdom, but that would not have solved, listen, the reason they were slaves to begin with. They had sinned. They had King David at one point. They had King Solomon. They had a kingdom, but because they could not get rid of sin in their life, God had to surrender them to the enemy, surrender them to their enemies. So Jesus could have came, but if God would have set them free and established their kingdom, then they would have just a few years later, and not dealt with the sin issue, they would have been slaves again under somebody else. Look what Jesus says in Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not about just being free to eat and drink what you want or do what you want, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not just about being able to do what you want. It's about having peace and joy in your life. That is true freedom. Do you know you can be in a jail cell somewhere and have more peace and more joy than someone who owns a mansion? That's, that's real. That's real. Jesus came to bring real freedom. Real freedom. Not just the ability to do what you want, to enjoy life and just have a career and do whatever you want with your family. He came so that you could be set free, so you could love God, serve and love other people, and experience righteousness, peace, and joy that is only found in the Holy Spirit. I want to read Isaiah 61, verse just one, one more time. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. That has nothing to do with physical freedom. That has everything to do with spiritual freedom, emotional freedom, mental freedom. Jesus came to set us free, and he is still setting people free. It's time for us to acknowledge the reality of the kingdom of God that is in the world. We have to walk in faith and do the things that he asks us to do, to lay hands on the sick, to, to, to heal people, to cast out demons, and to preach the gospel, the good news of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. This is what Jesus did, and this is what he is asking us to do. I remember in December, I was at a friend's house in Dallas. He's a pastor, 
over there, and, and I, I'd met some people from his church, and um, I was just saying, hey, how's this person, how's that person, just making small talk, and I said, and I mentioned this one guy, and this guy that I had met had actually been to one of the conferences with us a couple years ago, and was talented, the drummer, he could, uh, I think he could play the piano, he could, he was just in ministry, just, I don't know if he grew up in church, but he, he struck me as a church kid, I'm like, man, this, this is, a, so I was just asking about him, and I say, hey, how so-and-so, and he's like, man, you know, he ghosted us, like from one day to the next, he said, we text him, we call, and this dude, this kid was, in, he was like 23, 24, he was involved in ministry, like, like anyone, like anyone that was on the, play, like involved, He's like, man, I don't know what happened. He just stopped reaching out. He just disappeared. He didn't show up to practice. He didn't show up to church. He was supposed to do this. He didn't do any of that. And I was like, wow. It, I don't know. It, that, just that story just kind of made me think, really? Like, how does that happen? How does that happen where from one day to the next, you just, you just ghost everyone? And then the, I feel like the Lord impressed this on me. He said, Josh, everyone needs healing. This explains why people go off the rails because there's an error in their life that they're not healed from and so they'll just disappear or they'll just do something completely out of character because they need healing in their life. I say this a second ago. All of us need healing. All of us, to different degrees in different areas, we all need healing. Jesus came to heal us and to set us free and he's still doing it today. I've seen it. I've seen tremendous healing. I'm not, I'm not saying that just to be dramatic. I've seen tremendous healing in even some of our leaders in our church over the past few weeks. Jesus wants to heal you. Tonight, at our night of prayer, I believe the Lord is leading us to lay hands on people for healing, all kinds of healing. So if you need healing, I want to encourage you to come tonight. It's going to be an amazing time. We're going to have a little bit of worship. We're going to spend a lot of the time laying hands on people, praying for people, because this is the season for healing. Let's stand.